Clementine and Otis, Daddy Loves You. All right, some shout-outs today. Big shout-out to Indosol and Tectonic Coffee. Tectonic Coffee, firstly, like LA-based coffee roasters, you know, they make super clean caffeine, pesticide-free, ethically harvested and sourced. If you go to their website, www.tectoniccoffee.com, you'll receive a 15% discount at checkout if you use promo code THT, so get on it. Indosol, what can I say about these guys? Just love them. Kai, Kyle and Chris, you know, founders of the company, you know, making making sandals out of repurposed motor vehicle tires, like just the best dudes. Um, same, if you go to indosol.com, use promo code THT at checkout, you'll get a 15% discount, you'll be supporting the show and you'll be keeping motor vehicle tires out of landfill. So get on that as well. Uh, big shout out to uh, Kindred Essential Oils. Just want to thank you for the lovely gift in the mail of the essential oil. And I just feel like in this time of, um, you know, a, a pandemic where we're being constantly told to sanitize and wear face masks and, uh, you know, isolate and, and uh, social distance, I think maybe we should be talking more about exercise, getting sleep and using natural therapies such as essential oils. So thanks for the gift. Uh, and if you go to Kindred essential oils instagram page you can get on there and you can buy online and uh they ship worldwide all right dan man are you ready to roll brother i'm ready yep i'm having a good time you are yeah i can tell and we are rolling terrible happy talks terrible happy talks terrible happy talks terrible happy talks Today's guest is Dan Mann. Dan is a surfer, shaper, craftsman, and head of research and design for Firewire Surfboards. Over the last 25 years of building custom surfboards, Dan has shaped and glass boards for legendary surf brands such as Channel Islands, Rusty, Xanadu, and Joel Tudor. Driven by progression, Dan's journey as a craftsman has led to the development of a close relationship with the likes of Kelly Slater in which they collaborate on many of the board's Kelly rides in the WSL Tour events. One of their latest creations being the FRK. Is that right, Dan? Not FKR, FRK, right? FRK, yep. Yep. Like many, like many surfers, I followed Dan's work from afar, and anytime I see him in the media or video clips, he's laid back, California surf stoke just beams with a hint of mad, with a hint of mad surfboard shaper genius. Today, Dan is with me from his home in San Diego to share his journey, experiences, challenges, and hopes for the future. Dan Mann, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate Dude, it. Dude, thanks for yeah. tuning in, man. What's the weather like in California today? Well, we're in summertime, peak summer, uh, end of July time, but it's unusually cool, I think. It's been uh, been onshore breezy our summertime onshore breeze and in a month or so it'll go a little more steady off side offshore. Yeah. Get a little drier and hotter, but right now it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Do you get that Marine layer thing happening in summer? Is that a, is that a winter thing? No, it's summertime. Yeah. That's, that's what's happening until about 10 or 11 in the morning now. Yeah. And then it comes back. It stays clear after sunset for a couple hours these days. And then, and then it'll, it'll, it'll roll in about midnight or 11. 
Yeah, nice. Years ago, yeah. I surfed. I, my friend of mine was living in Ventura, and uh, mm-hmm. I, it was one thing. Like as a as a foreigner to the country and and yeah. surfing Ventura, I surfed Ventura Point on a really good swell. I had the best. Oh time. yeah. But that that marine layer of that that sort of fog that sits on the ocean, I just found it like yeah. so cool. Like, and you'd be sitting yeah. out the back, and you couldn't see the sets coming, and then next yeah. thing you know, like a wave just pops up in front of you, and you just go like turn and go. <laughs> yeah, it was like Keeps a whole does that does that kind of sort the line out out sometimes the line up out sometimes like you can sort of sneak waves? Yeah, the especially so the fog will roll in anytime there's a quick change with that dry hot air I was telling you about that comes in the end of summer and and we have an Indian summer too in the uh, October November. There's a lot of days where it's just like socked in, but but winter winter swells come and start rolling in. There's a couple spots where it could kind of be like that where. If you know the lineup, you know the little spots, and and people lose track of where they are because of the lack of visibility. You can kind of sneak in a couple extras, yeah. Yeah, nice. Working, working the crowd, working the fog. Yeah. <laughs> like, where's your where's your go to surf like surf locations in your area? Like, where's your where would you say your home break is? Yeah, South San Diego. There's some there's some spots down here, and I, I go up to La Jolla quite a bit. La Jolla is sort of like you know, north of downtown San Diego by about 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, and then, of course, my work kind of takes me up to the Carlsbad, which is north San Diego. But, yeah, there, sneak down into Mexico every once in a while, too. That's uh, Northern Baja is, is a really, I mean, gosh. That's, is it, is it Rosa, Rosalito? Yeah, Rosarito is good. Rosarito, yeah. Just, just north of there is good. And then just kind of that whole that whole coast is still pretty, from the standpoint of the way the sand moves around and the reefs and all that stuff, it's still pretty wild. It's not been too, not too many jetties and piers and all that kind of, you know, sterilizing effects. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, every time I hear about Mexico these days, it's like, it's so dangerous down there. And mm. actually, I went down to Mexico in the year, oh, 1999. We did a road mm. trip from San Diego, actually, no, from San Francisco, then all the way down the PCH into Baja, and then all the way down Highway 1, Baja. Then put the car on a ferry down at um, Cabo San Lucas, and then, oh, no, no, San Jose del Cabo, and then we drove all the way down to Porto. It took us three three months. But anyway, it wasn't wasn't that, like, people were like, oh, it's going to be dangerous down there, but it sounds like it's still, it's probably heavier down there now than it used to be. I think so. My understanding, I mean, when you go, I always get there. I'm like, oh, you know, kind of a little bit like, okay, here we go. Kind of getting the Mexico game face on. But it's never as bad as you think as soon as you arrive. You know, you're like, oh, God, this is, these are just people too, you know, kind of a thing. And then there, there is that ominous, the cartel situation, as I understand it, they, the collusion between the government and the cartels was uh, the trust there was disrupted enough that the heads of power of the cartel got chopped off. So the infighting and the, the, the power vacuum started causing a lot of uh, unsettling. And there was actually, uh, I, I looked it up about three years ago, there were more deaths along that border than Afghanistan with us. Yeah. I mean, you can look those kinds of numbers up and those kinds of things. And it's a pretty hec- hectic thing, but, on the other hand, if you know, it's kind of like everywhere. If you just kind of are doing your thing and being uh, respectful and aware, and and you can you can navigate it pretty simply. I think probably how it was similar to when it's a, it's a touch more dangerous now than it was in '99, late '90s, early 2000s. 
Yeah. You, I guess we kept our wits about us and we were there for yeah, three months traveling around, had no problems. And yeah. we actually had a, we had a car with with uh, Colorado number plates. Whoa, and it was yeah. like there was an Australian, American, and an <laughs> and an Irishman. Like it sounded like it's like almost like a joke. Like I think people didn't know yeah. what to do with this. Actually, the one problem, <laughs> and the one problem we had was uh, we had a military checkpoint, and the the military police took a soccer ball off us, and they just took it. Like we're keeping this. I was like, okay, no yeah. worries. You can have that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They needed something to do for for the next car. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, bro. Yeah. So listen, like, look, I was saying to you before we started, I was like, I just, I can't help myself. Like, I just want to talk about surf stuff and almost get it out of the way because I'm just so excited. Sure. You know, like I've been, like I said, I've I've been sort of looking at your boards for ages. Like I'll never forget the first time I picked up, was it like a, is it the baked potato? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I picked it up, I'll never forget, cool. sweet potato. And I remember I picked it up or one of those ones in a surf shop years ago and I put it under my arm and I was just like, what is this thing? You know, like it had deep concaves, like super wide, flat, short, beveled rails. I was like, no yeah. way. Yeah. And I guess my question to you is, is like what, what inspired those original uh, innovative ideas? For the potatoes, um, Actually, uh, Christian, our, our mutual friend that uh, kind of introduced us, it feels like, um, he he came in with one of the original early um, mini Simmons from uh, Joe, this guy Joe, I forget his last name, that he shaped it here at my friend Mike Eaton's shop. I remember Joe was making those, and then uh, Christian ended up with one somehow. And it was a twin fin with glassed on wooden keels. I was like, that's all, that's great. It was probably 6.0, and it, and it paddled literally like a longboard. It was so much volume, really, really wide tail. And, uh, I said, let's, let's do that, but let's, let's try to make it be more performance oriented. And then we did. And about a month later, he's like, you got to surf it. You got to surf it. And I did. And I said, you know, what would take this to a whole nother level would be putting a really, really severe double barrel through it to split the width, that real wide width into half. And then, and at the same time, do that, you, you make it a quad. So it really make the board um, surf one half of the board at a time. Therefore, then the, the that crazy wide, I think the tail block at 12 inches is something around 19 inches wide or something crazy at the time. And that, that those those refinements allowed f- for that world to kind of, in my mind, be, be born. And I, I understood it as soon as we put the quads on, I went, okay. And I, I remember jumping on the sweet potato for the first time in 2009 or whatever and, f- like, almost fell off the back, skated it all the way in on a tiny, teeny, tiny wave and just was laughing at, at the amount of maneuverability with all that volume, with all that planing surface. So the volume allowed the paddling, the planing surface allowed the skatey through the flat sections. And since then, it's evolved into a billion different versions of the same kind of relationship with the plati- the planing with those fins. Yeah. Was it like, was, were the original designs, were they letting you go top to bottom as well with, with that, with that, yeah. large, with that large planing surface? Yeah. They top to bottom. Yeah. For good surfers, they could definitely sort it out. And for me, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an okay surfer, but I, but I really like to go fast and shoot down the line, especially where I'm surfing and then do one or two quick turns to, to go vertical in a pocket. I'm not really surfing surf like that that often. 
And, you know, at a spot like Snappa or Kira or something like that, it's obviously you, you'd be drawing out your turns like, you know, like a 20 or some, some wide fish. You'd be drawing that similar kind of line. But the really good guys can sort it out. And I, I'd like to think that a lot of the refinements, so now we're on the baked potato too. It's called Twice Baked. Yeah. Uh, that so I just did with Firearm. Yeah. That one, a lot, because of the tail on that one, having more of a hip up front by the fence, yep, it comes in, gets drawn in right at the tail block. The actual tail block is a lot more narrow, and, and the, there's a V-panel that goes off the last little, like, six, eight inches of the tail, and so it allows for a lot more pocket turns. And so yeah. I'm kindly, you know, that's the, that's the one, you don't want to, you know, it's that balance, you know, it's of keeping, keeping the performance with the planning and, and the mixing of all that kind of thing, like making a good song, you know. Making a good song. I like that. Yeah. 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 Do, you, do you feel like an artist? Um, I don't feel like one, but I know that I am being one when I'm doing it. I, I feel just like a surfer, you know, I, I feel like we're obsessed enough with it and we're willing to do anything, whether it's artistic or, you know, I mean, so many surfers will do anything for surfs, good surf. And we'll do a rain dance if we have to, or we'll do whatever, you know? And, and so it's like, we'll believe in anything for some good waves, you know, that has, I think resulted in, in me becoming somewhat artistic with it. But I also understand that, that there's really significant math that can come into formulating repeatability with the designs, repeatability with the materials and the combinations of the materials and the designs coming together. And then as a result of those, uh, you know, a different material can allow for a different type of design. A different type of design can enhance a different material. That world is very mixing and it's very, um, it allows for a lot of different thinking and uh, attention, which is, you know, which is artistic. And so I, in that sense, I do. I almost more like a, I mostly relate to like a, a cook or a baker than a, uh, and a music mixer music maker than an actual like painter or a, like, uh, like a, know. like a curator. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. 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 So maybe it's that. And then there is like a um, very mystical element of why one works and the other one doesn't, man, you know, like, I don't know, like the, the mathematically they're the same materials wise. They're really close. I can't imagine why you like that one so much more than you like that one, especially with Someone like Kelly, I'll make him two boards the best, most precisely as I can, and he'll like one more than the other one. I'd be like, man, I, you know. So, yeah. so there's there is a mystery that I would just chalk up to magic, you know. <laughs> we all this, have the magic board, so I've got this really weird like theory, and it's happened to me numerous times over the years. Sometimes you know I'll snap the nose off a board, like I'll, I might yeah. I might snap like three inches off the front, and then I'll get it repaired. And for some reason, I feel like the board is better after that. It's so weird. Mm-hmm. It's happened yeah. more than it's happened more than once. But yeah. going back to this discussion around materials, you've created your own EPS foam. Is that correct? Yeah. So I've used a lot of different. I've. I've it would be more like the EPS is the EPS. Is this? It's. Yeah. I use the same chemistry and the same. Um, processes that the that stock and eps is from coolers and the at the grocery store to surfboards or the the eps that's in your car bumper 
it's all sort of pretty much the same. What I've been trying to do is take parts of it out and replace it back in with other new materials and carbons and different things like that to add some structure within the, the EPS. The EPS is just, if, if we don't put in uh, some sophistication in terms of, of structure within it, it becomes just a shape holding, a place holding thing, um, which is fine, especially if your skin that's the, the shell of the board is technically and structurally sound. That's okay, but I, I've experimented with putting carbon structures inside the EPS as well as uh, manipulating and coming up with new ways of putting a, a glass job around its skin. Like, What was your main motivation for wanting to do that, though? I'm trying to separate the structural integrity of the board and its weight. So like a lot of the time we try to add structure, we end up sacrificing and adding a bunch of weight. If you can have full control over the structure of the surfboard without, and then at the same time as a separate mechanism, be able to dial in the weight the way you want it to, without having one being hinged on the other, that would be very liberating from a design standpoint. And then the other factor is if you could separate the structure from the design, because if you want to, uh, say a three and a half inch thick board, it's not very hard to make that thing not break. But if you're messing around with a two and three eighths and, you know, top pros riding it and in critical, critical surf going 10 feet in the air and coming down on it. And mm-hmm. that board that's two and three eighths, you, you have to find some way to install or find a structural element to place in there. That's independent of the shape. So independent of the two and three eighths, so much of the thickness of a, of a big monster rhino chase chasers adding to its strength and its durability. And so if you can get inside the blank, add a, an element to the structure without adding much weight, that's independent from the end, end, end result in terms of the shape, then, wow. then you got another pulling mechanism to give and take on design. So it's not compromising flex. So and it and it can. That's the idea too. Is to is to manipulate. Therefore, as a result, be able to manipulate the the, the way the board bends, but not not compromise it. You'll still get the. You can still actually get the flex that you're you're desiring. Yeah, and so the idea there is to so a lot of the flex that we're surfing on is as a result of the shape. The, the real tapered tails, the real thin, or the real boxy, like the real boxy steep above the fins versus a very tapered one. That's going to create a little difference there, you know? And um, in terms of where you, when you put your foot down on that and you, you're, you know how you blow out your toe edge or your, your heel edge on your back foot, that kind of stuff is telling you something. If you can add structure or add flex or take away flex and take away structure, you know, whatever you're trying to do. And if you can control that properly, then you then you've opened up a new new element of design because as it is, as you know, as we all know, the shortboard's been I mean, it's like man, it's like American wheat, man. We've we've refined that past past its I mean, what more can we do? We you know, oh this year's new model is sixteenth inch less rocker, one mil less rocker, you know? Well the funny thing is what more can we do? Everyone's going back to in my where I live, everyone's riding twenties again. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I know I am. I, I got this yeah. sick. I got this amazing twin fin by this uh, shaper down in Victoria called Corey Graham, and it's yeah. just got one big channel through the bottom and a, a double double concave, and it's like really simplistic. Like, 
yeah. uh, in its design, and it's yeah the best board I've ever ridden. But yeah, um, and, and having those twenties is great because you don't have the drag in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I mean, you know, for for the average Joe like myself, it's like. You know, do you really need a performance board? Like, are you trying? Are you competing on the world tour? Or is that you know? Is yeah. that going to happen? And what's more fun? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it yeah. is fun. And I actually feel like I, I lost a lot of years on thrusters, and and uh, performancey boards when I should have been riding boards that are wider with more volume, and I think I would have got a lot more waves. You know, yeah. yeah. Me too. yeah. But listen, listening to you talk, Dan. Okay, I can just see straight away, like you start your knowledge and your passion just starts to exude from you. And you know, I think about surfboard shaping and the and craftsmanship, and it's, I mean, there's so many variables, and it just seems like such a black art. You know, mm. does that overwhelm you at times? Totally. You, like I just, I'm finishing up a board for a buddy of mine right now, and I mean, it, it, you can never be done. You'll never be done. And so there's a lot of sentiment, especially as we get older as a shaper or, or whatever, you, you kind of feel like it's done. The boards are done. This is, we're just going to make them shinier or we're going to make them prettier or whatever. And, but in terms of performance and design, it's over. And, um, yeah, but it, it never is. And that's, it's, it can be daunting, but most of the time it's very like, oh, cool. You know, I'll never be bored. As long as my own, my own, Lack of neuroplasticity is my only real uh, <laughs> hinge point, you know. And, and so, if I can stay flexible and stay inquisitive, and and it would be great to, we've been saying this for years, and we've been trying to do it for years, but to incorporate other industries' technologies like bike bikes and fishing poles. Like, if you look at a bike, the way they can manipulate and control the stiffness of the bike frame. Yeah, you know the the guys racing in Tour de France are riding. They have a climbing bike and a and a, and a flats bike, and and they control the and manipulate the um, the way the bike's bending and and not bending or whatever. And so and and they're doing that again. That's kind of where I would say I got the idea of 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 doing that without losing or without gaining weight. And so they they have their structural elements sort of independent of, of their weight desires or, or requirements. Gotcha. So, yeah, we're never going to be done, especially as we get, you know, in, in, in the old hand shaping versus machine shaping debate and argument, you know, it's like, hey, man, I'm all for the machine shape because let, let me, let me, can I have one element that I can control a little bit, you know, because I'll never yeah. have all control over all of them. So <laughs> give me something. <laughs> Well, it's funny. I, I did a podcast with um, Nev Hyman, surfboard champion yeah. from Australia. He was really uh, back back in the eighties. He was in re- early nineties. He was really progressing the idea of. Uh, he really was advocating for machined machined boards, you know, and he yeah. he really believes that you know the accuracy of machined boards now is second yeah. to none. It's 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 yeah. amazing. It's amazing how much it's progressed. But then, ironically, I was talking to Dylan Longbottom just yesterday. You know, since COVID started, you know, he, he decided to, like, he shapes boards in the, in the hometown that I live in here in Wollongong. And then he's actually then will stack up his van and he'll go and drive, drive the East Coast. And he'll, he's going back, back to pulling up in the car park and talking to surfers in the car park. And he said, like, people are just loving it. Like, surfers yeah. want, they want to talk to a shaper. They, they Heck, want to yeah, talk yeah. about it, you know, like, and so going back to that notion of like, is this, is the surfer shaper relationship being lost? Um, mm-hmm. do, I mean, do you feel like it's been lost? 
No, I don't. I don't think it is. But at the same time, the surf market, at least here in the states, and I, it sounds the same, if not more. In Oz, uh, according to a buddy of mine, he says that all the COVID thing, the result there was all the the gym guys that used to go to the gym started surfing. <laughs> He's very distraught. But anyway, the it's the same here. Yeah, yeah. That, and so the surf market seems to be growing, or it'll it'll contract and it'll expand and then by natural forces of you know just to put it bluntly it's by natural forces of our world's monetary system there's going to be a couple companies that hog more of the market and so those companies are going to obviously then control more of the media control more of the difference you know just kind of the the language of surfing, but that with that comes an op- opportunity for the long bottoms to to go. Hey, you know, here's what you guys are missing, and so it goes back to creativity. Same thing with design. Same thing with you know me not getting sick of my job. Same thing with a musician being able to create music. He's you have to have the creativity. You have to find the holes. You have to find where the where the current isn't going and be able to fill that and. And that's that's with everything, man. That's with designing it. That's with glassing it. That's with the marketing of it. That's with the yeah. distribution of it. You know, mm-hmm. with uh, all the different forces that are going on out there in the world. We, we you know, if you're going to be a part of the industry, it's not easy to make a living in this industry. It's far out, you know. And there's Imagine. a couple of us that are lucky enough to be able to do it, and and it's usually the more creative ones, especially that can do it for years, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, great. I love it. And I think for me, like as a surfer, and I think a lot of surfers actually want to feel a connection to their craft. And like you said, they want to have one little say. They like to feel like they have one little one little bit of input into it. And yeah. and uh, you know, because the average surfer, you know, is likely never going to shape their own board. So, but then we spend so much time writing these things. It's like, yeah, well, we. We, we want to feel we want to feel a connection to it, and I feel like that's being lost as well. When I when I see Jamie O'Brien surfing like ten foot pipe on a soft top, like I think it's amazing, and yeah. it's and I think it's creative in its own right. Yeah. As as a, you know, and these are boards that you know he started by getting boards from Costco and doing it. You know, it's super <laughs> impressive. But as a as a shaper, like how does that make you feel when you got like these legendary Hawaiian shapers spending their life refining Hawaiian guns? And then he does yeah. that. How does it make you feel? Yeah. Takoro drops off ten boards that are just <laughs> insane, and then he goes and takes us off top. Uh, I, you know, on that one, I, I, <laughs> I, I go, I go. Well, that, there's the athlete. There's the power of the athlete right there. Uh, that's the first thing I see, and it's like, man, you know, Kelly and Jack Johnson did a video for Jack's senior years final yeah. paper or something of Kelly surfing a door. I don't know if you remember that. But that was uh, yeah. 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 I do, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so it's like, okay, there's the power of the athlete, the power of creativity to be able to do that kind of thing. Yeah. Like you said, and, and it is, is it a slap in the face to the shaper? I'm sure Wade, I don't know. I don't know Wade, but I'm sure he's laughing. And, and to me, I just would laugh. And honestly, <laughs> sometimes these videos on Instagram and stuff become pretty, um, repetitive so I, I i appreciate that but you know ultimately it's going to take a jamie o'brien type guy to even want to do that and and yeah you know it's i don't think 
it, it really cut. It doesn't get into the soul of surfing necessarily. Yeah, yeah it's a freakish. He's a. It's, he's got a freakish yeah. ability. A freakish ability. Yeah. Yeah. So listen, man. Like I'm curious. Like so, you grew up in California, San Diego area. Yeah, I've been here since I was about eleven. I, I grew up in uh, Maui, Hawaii, for, Maui. before that. Yeah. Right. And um, so you went to you did all your schooling in Maui. No, I did a little bit of schooling in Maui until fifth grade, and then I did a, a year six and year seven in uh, actually on the east, our east coast in the states. Yeah, and then I and then I came back here, and then I did uh, eighth grade through high school and college here in San Diego. Oh, nice. Uh, how do you, how do you reflect on your early your early childhood days in Maui with fond, fond um, memories? Well, I I have a lot of uh, it, I have very wide range. I had a great time. My, my family was great. And, uh, I was real close with my mom and my dad and my two sisters. And then my, my brother was born later. He was, I was 11 when he was born. Yeah. So, but he was not on Maui with us, but we had a great time. I loved Maui and the lifestyle, the surf, the food, everything was great. I, but I, I had to go to school there and starting in kindergarten, I was, do you mind if I swear? Dude, you can say whatever you okay. want. Yeah, so, so okay, can we? I was the fucking Holly, you know? And so. Yeah. Uh, Did you get sick uh, of that? I was the fuck, oh, well, no, yeah, I got my ass kicked. I, I'd get I'd get beat up, literally, uh, you know. I, it felt what? like. At school or in the surf yeah. related? At school? No, no, school. Surfing was tame compared to actually the, the playground. Yeah, kindergarten was gnarly. Yeah, and um, this guy named Troy. Yeah, this guy, one guy in particular. <laughs> what, what, anyway, so uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, local guy. You know, not very Hawaiian, but you know, had had just enough to think. Oh, well, heck, a lot more than I did, white boy. You know, with light hair. So uh, yeah, and, and that that was uh, that was shitty. You know, I hated that. And I, and the one of my last fights was. Uh, just I was just getting the shit kicked out of me by a girl who was in three grades above me. I was in I was in first grade, uh, and I finally got in a shot in her stomach, and then I got uh, threatened with being suspended oh and, so, for punching a girl. Yeah, and that was in what but, grade five? That was no, that was when I was in first grade when I finally got a punch in. I, 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 yeah, first grade. Yeah. So it was crazy, and then. Fifth grade, you know, I got a, a couple of couple of cheap shots for being a fucking Halloween. But, it, but you know, and, and a lot of, especially back then, it was, Maui's tricky because it's, it's surviving by the tourism in a lot of ways economically. But then, you know, there's this huge understandable sentiment against people coming over and taking over and and boy some of the hollies are their own worst enemies because they come in and start talking pigeon after they've been there for six months it's like yeah no wonder what people want to kick their ass you know yeah interesting paradoxical stuff did it build resilience in you or do you feel like it maybe left you with a bit of trauma probably both for sure um i feel like i don't have hang-ups because of the trauma i definitely feel like i've i pretty well and truly addressed it and looked at it and put light on it. And it did resilient put resilience on me. And it, uh, what it did, it, it reinforced a lot of what my dad would teach me is in just terms of being ultimately self-reliant. And, and lately that has sort of um, expanded into a sort of, I guess the, 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 the words I heard to describe what I'm trying to do, the, 
uh, that were most accurate were, you know, perpetual expansion inward. So when you want to expand, you can, you can't, you can't go affecting a lot of people other than just by putting the positivity out there, like Christian or you or whatever you guys, whatever you can do, you can do, but you can't really change how someone thinks. You can't really change how they feel. So all you can do is be the best version of yourself and expand inward. And then when you are, when you come up against a roadblock like racism or whatever, then you make room within yourself for it. And so, and that's resilience and, and, uh, fortitude about it, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dan, it, it seems like the, the, just going back to the bullying thing, it's a big thing. And I mean, you were talking about this whole notion of, you know, we're talking about resilience and, and, you know, just, controlling what you can control, which is your own feelings and emotions. I mean, I really agree with you because I feel like, I mean, I know I do it. Like we get really hung up on what other people are, other people are doing. And, and I tend to ruminate over it and over it and over it. And it just seems to, I seem to go in a hole massively when that happens. And for me, like strategies such as meditation and surfing and, and, and recently breath work, I do a lot of breath work as well. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I did a 12-week Wim Hof breathing course, but then I've actually progressed into other forms of breathing techniques. It has been the best way to settle that noise, that that mind chatter. Because going in line with what you were saying is I feel like for me personally, like, you know, I I can have financial problems or I can have, you know, like materialistic problems, but the problems that really stick with me are the ones where I'm affected by people and their and their response to me. So I just love that you were saying that, you know, that you, that's how you, you control it. Like, I guess this is a long way of getting to the question I wanted to ask, but <laughs> what's, I mean, what strategies do you put in place? Like, okay, so going back to grade one, you were bullied, but as yeah. life's gone on, I'm sure you've had to have had to deal with conflict with other people. Like what strategies do you personally put in place? Uh, so that, that breath work is my number one thing. I, I, um, same as you, wait what you just said. Um, I discovered Wim on a podcast, I think in 2016, right before a paddleboard race. And I was like, is that you here? Yeah. And, uh, and it was like, to me, my very first time doing it, I went, there we go. You know? And, and, and so since then I've, I've joined it with the idea and the importance and understanding of a ceremony. So I, a ceremonial breathe. And so I breathe, I wake up, I, I make my bed and I, and I breathe every morning. And if I have to be somewhere at five, I get up at four. You know, if I have to be there at four, I get up at three. You know, I just, I really try hard to not, not miss it ever. Especially as you go, I ramp it up. I, I also exercise it probably compulsively, but, but I always ramp up my breathing and I'll do two or three a day and, and try to be as ceremonial as I can. Cause I think you know, the old religions and all that stuff, especially you're in Bali, like you see the Hindu and the amount of ceremony they put into every little thing, there's something to it. And I, and I, as a Western civilization, you know, guy who's very non-religious, I, I don't fully have my head around it, but I, I, I can see it and I go, Hmm, there's something going on there with the aspect of ceremony. But the main thing for me is is the balance of the the, the conscious and the, the spiraling, the mental internal battle that you get going with the brain, combined with keeping it um, the, the dance and the and the the way that you can learn and build from that and expand within when you have a modality like breathing, 
basically what I I think is is like it's it's flipping the script, and so the whole um, idea of having the the financial worries or someone else you know saying something that you just doesn't it's like man that's not that's not me that's you know, you're misunderstanding me or you know you're having some crazy battle with someone for me uh, my the, the most important thing is to have that way to be able to look at myself and remember you know the most elemental aspects of who and what I am and who and what we are as best I understand it you know and and to stay in that reminding type of mindset reminding mindset like like a conscious mindset yeah being more conscious yeah but also yeah but see also using your or being aware of your consciousness so much so that you can also be aware of your unconscious response to certain things without you even knowing it like a good example is when if i go to oz if i flew in tomorrow and i landed at that 6 a.m flight in brisbane and rented a car here I go, you know, I got to get used to being on that wrong side of the car, wrong side of the road. The struggle with the automatic unconscious response makes driving all of a sudden extremely conscious. I could drive, you know, down to my shop or up to wherever, somewhere familiar, and I could do it with my eyes closed. I could carry on a conversation. I'll remember the conversation. I won't remember turning on my turn signal. But if I go to Australia, I'll remember every <laughs> time I turned on the wipers instead of the turn signal and things like that. You're so like, these fucking these, are crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and using that that uh, that awareness to see how much unconscious life you live. Like, wow, I, I'm I'm responding automatically to someone yelling at me so quickly. I'm responding this way, that way, this way, without even before it even became a conscious thought. You know, now, actually, now you say that, I think maybe that's why I love traveling so much because, I, I mean, I love to travel. Mm, totally. And when I'm traveling, I, I often say this, I feel more alive and more connected to my world than ever. And actually, as you were saying that, it just sort of all clicked in my head. I was like, well, maybe that's why I like it because I am becoming, I'm just more conscious and my awareness is fully heightened and I love that you made mention of Bali because that's that is primarily what resonates with me the most there is that ceremony is life. It's it's so ingrained in their day-to-day lifestyle that it's like brushing their teeth. And you know, right. um they spend they spend their whole life farming marigold flowers specifically for ceremony. That's someone's job in yeah. the community. They're not trying to sell those yeah. things. Now, and another job in the community is to to make the offerings, like, and that's what they do all day, every day. And just, you know, I, I can't help reflecting on our on our on the modern societies that we both live in. I think Australia very much mimics uh, American mm-hmm. culture in a lot of ways, where it's very much driven by consumerism. And the fundamental difference I know is this disconnect from this sense of spirituality and we're making our possessions our higher power and we're getting sicker, not just like, you know, spiritually sicker and and you just have to look at the data on mental health in our country and I, I don't, I'm pretty sure it's similar in the States and it's quadrupling every year if you look at the epidemiology around it. And that's why when they put these social... Uh, restrictions on us, social isolating. I mean, I'm I'm so scared to look at look suicide out. rates. I don't know if it's yeah. what it's like in the states, but it's already no, growing it's, here. Got shooting up, straight is up. it? And yeah, so I mean, domestic abuse. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, I don't know. I, I've, 
Christian and I were talking about this. I, I feel like so much of what we're dealing with right now is just so fear-driven, you know, and I'm just trying not to buy into the fear because I feel like ironically when you're, when you're fearful, it actually re, uh, reduces your immunity and you, and, you, and, and you become more susceptible to sickness. So yeah, I don't know. It's a bit of a tangent, but it really goes in line with what you were saying, man. So thanks for sharing that, bro. Oh, of course. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. Mm. Look, I want to go back a little bit to your early days. So, you, like I said, you, you, had, you spent some time in Hawaii as a youngster. Then you moved to the back to America, back to San Diego, and mm-hmm. you did your high school years around San Diego area. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what was like? What were some subjects at school that you really were drawn to at that age? Not many. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't a very good student. I liked art, and I liked. Yeah, I mean, that was pretty much it. I had a super cool art teacher, and I got good. At, I was actually, I had uh, four years of algebra. I was so bad at algebra. <laughs> I had three algebra, two two different. <laughs> and then, but then I finally got into geometry, and I and I could sleep during class. I got I I could understand geometry intuitively like i i got it i, I gotcha. could get that and then I, I actually enjoyed a lot of the books so english would be another thing and every once in a while i'd get into a history lesson that was kind of interesting but man you know the hill of history thing i kind of felt it then that a lot of history's been you know that quote that says history was written by the winners you know ah so I, yeah, those right. are i've never heard that yeah. interesting so I sensed it then, and I definitely, definitely now I'm further down that hole. So yeah, further down what the history hole? Well, the hole of like who's writing this, you know? Ah, like your question, <laughs> you're, que- you're questioning that. Yeah, How I mean, interesting. Yeah. yeah, because ah, oh, that's so interesting. Because like, I mean, I actually was really drawn to history in high school as well. I'm, I'm just really like, you know, amazed by it. And I, I do, I love that quote of like, we have to know where we've been to know where we're going. Yes, but but now time. you've, again, you've just got me thinking like, are we, are we listening to the right people? Should we, should we be right. listening to the underdog and get their yeah, perspective? Or, or how do you get the underdogs? How do you get the underdog story? What was their side? You know? Yeah. 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 And that's why I think it's so important for societies to nurture the most vulnerable and give them those opportunities and create equity. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that's so rad. I didn't expect you to say that. I can understand geometry because you're a craftsman. I get that. Mm. And art, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I couldn't get into the physics class that I wanted to take because my math skills were so shitty. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, just let me in, (laughs) Do you have someone to help you with the the maths aspect of, of your, you know, profession right now? No. So now, like... So we're, uh, you know, with design, with shapes and sh- shapes are shapes, and then the the math only really comes in. Uh, yeah, at this point, it's pretty um, automatic. But and I have a, I do have a funny way of doing fractions because in the states we do the imperial, and so we're placing fins. Well, I mean, in Oz too. I mean, we're talking six two, five ten, six zero, you know, five five six. But yeah. But then when you go into leaders and you go into Fin placements, a lot of Australian fin placement is due to, are, are tied to the to metric. Metric system, yeah. And so I, I, yeah, because of working with Aussies, I, I do quite a bit of metric back and forth, toggling with, uh, back and forth between metric and imperial with design. But 
for the most part, it's it's a for me right now. I've been spending a lot of time in uh, in in the curve. Yep. Curve of the board to the curve of the wave, and then and then skipping dimensions, going straight to volume. So the curves and volume per the desired line on the wave, just to kind of keep my brain on a on a track, you know. See, man, all the all the all this stuff, it's gonna it's gonna like prevent dementia in you one day. You know that, don't you? I hope so. Yeah. I, so. I, I need all the help I can get. <laughs> that and that and Sudoku puzzles. Yeah, I heard that. That you know. Stops dementia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll check this. <laughs> and actually, and actually, learning other languages. So, um, yeah. again, like, because I've been living in Bali for the last couple of years, but had to return to Australia due to the COVID situation. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I've been going to Bali back and forth for years, and I've really enjoyed the language. But the last two years, I've really gone in to learning it and getting lessons and stuff. Cool. And I've found wow. that I've felt more creative energy than I've ever felt. So wow. yeah, I don't know. Like this, I think there's really up that part of your brain, or exactly. I think I think it is. Yeah, I think um, it, it's like I was using a different side of my brain, and it was just sparking, sparking like my creativity and ideas. And I, I mean, I'm I I thought that was just not me. I, I never actually seen myself as someone being as a creative person, you know. So I don't know, man. I think That's there's cool. something to it. Hey, yeah. Were you teaching at the Green School? Is that right? Correct. Yeah. I was a teacher at the green school. So great. But, uh, that's, yeah, that's actually come to an end now because, um, the school took a massive hit. A lot of the student population was from Europe and America. And, uh, obviously, you know, this, I mean, this situation's impacting hardcore. I think, I think it's, I mean, I think we're going to really see now that it's, it's going on now. And I I sort of can't see an end to it. I feel like the real implications are going to start hitting. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I I don't think the real economic impact has been felt properly yet. Yeah, I think I get I have moments where I get kind of doomsday about it, and yeah. um, and, and but then there's then there's right on the heels of the doomsday is like okay maybe it's a resetting and a cleansing that needed to happen anyway. Yeah, a lot of people say that, and I agree because was the was the old normal that good? It it wasn't for me. <laughs> it wasn't you know, for me. <laughs> so, you know, and uh, the 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 biggest thing that you touched on earlier is the isolation factor to me. That I, I've I I if I'm not feeling right, I isolate, and I I see really 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 important people in my life do the same thing, and then to stack on top of that some sort of social pressure to do more of it. It's like ah, oh, I don't know. I'll I'll take I'll take a short life over one live that way. You know. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, are you still selling surfboards through this? Oh yeah. See, that's that I think. But see, here in the states and Oz, Oz, I don't know. I mean, it's it's they're selling crazy. They're they're going really well. Um, here in the states, we had a whole bunch of. I don't understand how much stimulus you guys have had, but we've had a ton of stimulus. You know, yeah. for every action, Same. there's an equal Same reaction. Okay, yeah. So economically, what does that stimulus mean five months, six months, five years from now? I that's I listen to some doomsdayer guys. I try to listen to the positive guys and try to just kind of – and then just, you know, take it one day at a time for the most part. You know, I, those those guys who project, they're always – they're often wrong. So 
Yeah. I love that you just use that that term one day at a time. I mean, that's mm. kind of one of my life mantras. You know, it's really all we have. Yeah, yeah and, and it's funny, like when I when I actually really adopted that a few years ago, just this notion of one day at a time, I definitely felt my stress levels go down because I wasn't trying to bite oh, off yeah. more than I can chew. And then actually when 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 days are really hard for various reasons, I, I break it into one moment at a time. Oh, and yeah, one second. Well, sometimes it's one second, dude. You know, when things get really gnarly and we all we all get it, we all have it. And I just really encourage people to go, look, you know, just break it down into those simple chunks. Like you can't eat a, a whole elephant in one go, you know. You're gonna, yeah, like, yeah. If, that's a weird analogy. Don't eat elephants, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I just spot all over my microphone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, listen, Dan, like. I want to, I, I can't help myself. What's your involvement with the Wave Ranch or the Surf Ranch? Oh, it's, uh, I mean, it's definitely not as glamorous and glorious as it appears, but uh, I've, I've been up there a few times now, surfed it twice. And one day I, I, I definitely had a, I mean, it was, it was, it was a day, it was the day after Kelly's birthday. So it was, I think it was considered his, his day. And uh, he had just his friends and a, a couple, three of us that were up there in order to get some media for the FRK release. And so that day, I mean, I surfed myself sick. So I, and, and I, and I, because those days were a little more casual, I, I got to know the staff there pretty well. And that was, that was definitely the best part is, is meeting those people who were, you know, just unreal, exceptional people. And that part was cool. But like in terms of anything beyond that, I mostly is an observer and a very uh, infrequent participant. So, yeah. From a, from a shaper and designer perspective, how do you feel, has it actually helped you in, in progressions of, of design, especially working with Kelly? Is, has it assisted just given the consist, given the consistency Yes, for How? sure. Given the consistency and the, and the difference of a real wave that it has, so it's the way the water is moving. I I don't even know if I could really properly explain it, but there's you're going through the water and it's it feels different the way it's hitting your fins, the way it's hitting your rail and everything like that. It feels different. So you know we haven't really gotten into designing boards specifically for the wave pools. Even still to this day, Brody Sales and Jackson were just in Waco. Kelly was in Waco. Kelly was riding his same old FRK from 20, I made it in 2015. He started riding it in 2017 and he's riding it again just last month in Waco. And so we haven't really, I want to, I want to, there's this radical design world that I've been trying to chase down. And I think it's very, would be really good, work really well, lend itself to the wave pools. I think you start to really sense how small and how frugal the surf industry is when you are realizing the, you know, the, the amount of resources that go into tuning a golf club uh, or a golf shaft or the resources that they have in terms of the material, the design and all those different things. And then you apply that to surfboards and it's, we're, we're, I, I can't overstate how far back behind we are that of a golf club or a fishing pole company or, or, really? or a, of a bike. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're archaic. 
In terms of control over our material, control over our design, it's it's obscene. But is that because the nature of the environment that surfing is done in is so dynamic compared to that of a golf course or a uh, cycling road or I don't know. Is it, is it because of that? It is in its natural form, but in the wave pools, it's not. And that's you, you right. Repeat, repeat, repeat. I mean, it's not exactly – each wave isn't exactly the same. You saw it during the event. Of, is that because of, of the that, wind? Yeah, a little bit because of the wind, but also because just the, the – if they stop the, the, each after the right and they stop for 15 minutes and then start at the left and then 15 minutes and then the right again, those two rights would be similar. Very, 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 very close. But it's the way the water settles. And, uh, and you know, like if you're surfing a rip out at, at you know, whatever, Deba, and, yeah. and the way the rip is, is cranking through, it's going to have a different effect on the wave when the tide's coming up or the tide's going down. It's very, very much the same in the wave pool, but just much more s- subtle. But it's definitely more noticeable because the wave, the way it's created is exactly the same. The bottom is exactly the same. So it isolated the effect of the water's stability or, or lack of. And right. so, but when, so going back to like, yeah, to answer your question, the surfboards are limited because we're in, you surf in Deba and you want to surf the same wave over at Snapper and you want to go down, you know, to the spit and surf the same board again. Yeah. But, um, and so you, you three totally different waves, but then yeah. um, it comes down to money you got to follow the money. There's just not going to be an investor that comes along that wants to put in hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars into the design of something that you're not going to be able to recapture the cost of. Uh, okay. Because the margins you're talking about, people squawk and servers rightfully and justifiably so squawk mm-hmm. about the price of boards get, being up around a thousand bucks. Yeah. And, but it's, you know, Hey man, you got to blame our monetary system if you want to be mad at anything because Everyone's trying to make a living and, and just, you know, and we're not rich. Guys aren't nah. surfboard makers. And, rich. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure and there's over, there's overheads, there's various overheads and distributors and there's so many yeah. factors. I, I can't even yeah. imagine. I mean, yeah. with the, so basically what you're saying is that you, you know, the board, you'd be making boards specific to a wave pool setup, correct? If you could do that and you had the money, then you would, it would achieve similar sophistication as you do with yeah. golf courses or fishing poles. Yeah. Yeah. Like was, was Kelly, was Kelly surfing, you know, the surf ranch and then coming back to you going with like, say for the F, FKR, for example, saying, look, we've got to change this. We've got to change that. Did that start to happen or is that how you refined no, that? Not yet. I, I did. I, after my very first wave there, I went, Oh, I know what I want to make. But um, he, he's so he, he's just like Jamie O'Brien. He's just such an incredible athlete that he's like, just make my board. I, how I interpret a lot of what I think he needs is he needs the board to get the fuck out of the way. Gotcha. He needs it to be as neutral as possible and let himself be the expressor. Let wow. himself be the dictator of, of everything. Me, on the other hand, who's not quite as athletic and and uh, and skilled as you know, I, I need as many uh, things going in my direction for speed, things lending itself to control and, and maneuverability, and so that's why I think I'm a little bit better off because I'll think of more things to help my handicap, and he, he'll be like, just get the board out of the way. Ah, interesting. Like, I mean, aside from Kelly, like, who are some surfers that have actually um, pushed your boundaries in terms of progression in design? Yeah, Kyle Lenny. Kyle Lenny. Sure. Okay. He's 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 an open 
he's like, throw anything you want at me yeah. for Jaws, anything you want for me. It's, it's for small waves, windy waves, anything. He's been huge. A couple of local guys are really, really creative. A good buddy of mine's. Yeah. He, he's he and I are the same size, and so we just swap boards back and forth. And fins and fins are a huge, 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 huge element to surfing. Yeah, I could imagine. Like, are those guys like good communicators? Like, for example, does Kai Lenny communicate well with you? Is that what, is that what you need? Yes, as much as especially he he. I made him a gun for last winter, and he wrote me a thorough you know, complete, complete sentences, well-structured essay on what worked and what didn't work about the board. And oh, really? that kind of thing is the key to the castles. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's yeah. just amazing, you know, and yeah. you know, and he understands material, he understands design, he understands performance like crazy. So especially in, in those extreme elements. So it was, it was priceless. And so his, his feedback, there's, there's a couple other surfers that are just really, really good surfers that give really good articulate feedback. And then there's guys who just rip who can't, and they go, yeah, it was sick. (laughs) Well, they give you a back and go, shit, right? It was shit. I broke it. Give me another one. Yeah, I broke it. Actually, speaking of breaking it, I mean, I know Firewire are really pushing the boundaries in terms of eco-friendly manufacturing. For those that aren't aware, like what does what does Firewire do to move in that positive direction? So their their main things that they publicly say are are the 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 uh, eco friendly resin and materials, and I and I agree with that. But I think the most important thing is that they they've really been working hard towards the zero waste in the factory. Uh, yeah, and I don't. I haven't gotten a report on how that's been going. To me, that's more important. If you can make a board last two times, ten times longer than it would have uh, due to its material, regardless of the material. Yeah. I mean, if if we're using EPS and if we're using resin, we're behind the eight ball already. So just make the thing last a really long time. Yeah. Have it work really well and have it yeah. have a high resale value, so it just gets passed on down the ground. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, and then in doing the building of that board, the making of that board, if you can create as little waste or reuse as much of your waste as you can, yeah. that's. I mean, I hate to say it, but the industry's fooling itself, just like the clothing industry would be if if you think you can make it green. If you're encouraging people to buy more shit, then the best thing you can do is make it last a long time and have a high resale value, and 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 waste as little as possible when you do it. Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, I actually heard that, that you know, like the the, the firewire making tiles, like bathroom tiles from the yep. um, from the EPS. from the EPS yep. off on the floor in the shaving cool. base, you know, like that yep. that kind of stuff. And it, it's a it's a mindset. It's just a mindset of mm-hmm. like, well, I could throw it out, or I could, you know, make something out of it. And I think that my my parents' generation are classic for that. You know, like we have this awesome product in Australia. You, you probably never heard of it, but it's the best thing ever. It's called Vegemite. You know, and uh, Vegemite. yeah, yeah, yeah. Vegemite. <laughs> you know, my early <laughs> memories of my grandfather, you know, like once we finished the jar of Vegemite, he would take it, he would clean it, and then he'd take it to his, his garage and he'd put his, his screws and his nails in those containers for storage. Right, 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 right. You know, it wouldn't be going, you know, but I mean, but now even me, like I'll give it a bit of a scrape out, I won't even clean it, and then I'll just chuck it straight in the bin, you know. And I, I love that, yeah, that yeah, mindset yeah. of like, well, yeah, I mean, what, what can we do with this once it's, once it's done, you know? So yeah, that's cool, man. I get it. But I also, I mean, from a, from a, I guess a business perspective, 
you know, how, how, how sustainable is it to be, to be fully green and be eco-friendly? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that would be a big conversation. And, 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 yeah. And so there's this book called, called um, sacred economics by a guy named here in the States named Charles Eisenstein. Uh-huh. To have a look at that, man. If you want to look in the mirror of the fabric and the roots of how our mindsets are rooted into money and the monetary system, to have a look at that book or just listen to one of his um, podcasts. He's on a billion podcasts and he's, he's a really switched on, super smart guy and articulate. So he has helped me understand, hey, for better or for worse, we're in this monetary like, uh, you know, monetary addiction and cycle that, hey, you know, we're all consuming and people are trying to market and trying to separate themselves as the non-polluters. Mm-hmm. But it's like, hey, we're, there's, there's very few people outside of an indigenous tribe that's mm-hmm. not consuming more than they're regenerating, you know. Yeah. So we're all guilty of that. I agree, and I just think it's it's built on a house of house of cards. Yeah. Uh, yeah again, I want to just I draw a lot of analogies to Bali because I love the place. And okay, when COVID hit, they've lost their their main source of revenue, which is tourism, and sure. and they are doing it tough. But when I speak to my, um, you know, back back in Bali, I had I had a, a lovely housekeeper and a nanny who became like family. I'm like, oh, are you guys okay? And they like, yeah, no worries. They have no money, but what they do is they go back out to their village. They go away from the tourist areas. They go back to growing rice. They go back right. to sharing their food. They go back to living off the land because yeah. those skills are still, you know, being passed down from the elders. Yeah, half a generation removed, if that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, half a ge- exactly half a generation removed. So, I don't know. Could I do that? No. I, no one's. T- I, no. I've, no one saw me. I mean, I, I try to garden and grow some tomatoes. No, grow some kale. Yeah, that's okay. Kale. One percent my diet. Yeah, I grow some kale and ends up getting eaten by like bugs and shit, and it's no yeah. good. But. The hell those green worms, man? Those fuckers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> Ah, it's interesting, man. So, yeah, go, just want to quickly go back to your your story a little bit. So, yeah, you you, you know you went to high school in in in, in California area. Then you went to you, you actually went to university and got a college degree. Yeah, I I got a college degree. I, and I, and uh, how's that working out for you? Did that that's actually, great, man. That was, <laughs> it gave, let me guess, you paved the way to ease. Yeah. As a really, <laughs> let me guess, student, uh, student debt to the eyeballs, right? And then, no, actually, I, I went really cheap. I, uh, my, my folks helped me out with my last two years, my first four years. It took me, so here we can go to a junior, it's called junior college or a community college. And so I did four years of that, got the bulk of the general requirements done there. And it was back in the day, it was like, I don't know, for it was maybe maybe cost me four or five hundred bucks total. And I would buy the book and then return it right away, read it real quick and return it. So I got through junior college very, very cheap, and then uh I paid for that just myself. But then my uh, the university I went to San Diego State University here gotcha. and um it was about fifteen minute drive and stayed at home. So I didn't it was cheap. I knew I was a bad enough student that I I shouldn't cost anybody, including myself, any kind of money because I sucked bad enough at I, you know, don't don't go be investing in something that you're shitty at. So So did you transition straight from, from college into into like being a shaper or was it 
Was there a period of uncertainty in your life where, because I know for me, like for a lot of people, when you finish your studies, you, you know, that first year in the, in the real world can be so daunting and, 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 and real, a real period of like feeling lost and you often self-reflect. Did you go through some of that? I've actually done that more recently. Um, well, okay, <laughs> why? Before, I would say just because um, I, I have relative stability with my career. I have a steady paycheck, and I have that stability and predict- predictability with my income so far. You know, and that's always that's always, I'm a contractor, so I I, I I can't count on it wholeheartedly. And, and I don't think anyone, quite frankly, with this whole s- situation we're all in right now, can should expect the money to stay the way it is or was. But as I had that stability and I've had, you know, relative success in the industry, I, I've been able to be afforded time to, to reflect and do those kinds of things. And, and so I'd say it's almost one of those things where, like, the, the comfort enables you to actually see what's uncomfortable more clearly. Back in the day when I was getting out of university, I, was, uh, I had – full steam ahead on the American dream or Western civilization's ethos of work really hard, work your balls off, be smarter, be more effective, be more productive than the next guy. And you'll, you'll, you'll make millions of dollars. You'll buy the fancy house. You'll be set. I was still in that mindset and I was lifeguarding. I was finishing up uni. I was working at a restaurant. So I lifeguard during the day, restaurant at night, saving my money, trying to be as productive as I possibly could saving as much as I could. And, but then also, ironically, getting the car debt, getting the house debt, and all that sort of started going. And so I really didn't. I don't think I had. I had dissatisfaction with my work, and I had dissatisfaction with bureaucracy, and that's why I didn't go to keep going down the life saving, lifeguarding route. Is uh, the bureaucracy it just drove me insane? I couldn't stand the inefficiency and the backstabbing and just the bullshit. Dude, it sounds like being a high school teacher. <laughs> yeah, well, and it would be. It's exactly it. Especially, you know, you probably see it at the green school, even even with a small, tight-knit, you know, relatively, you know, similar mindset group. But, man, you, could you imagine San Diego University, you know, Unified School District? <sighs> Millions of students. So Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I, just, I just kept going with full steam ahead work harder and just double down. And then, yeah, I mean, like in my early thirties, I had two little kids and I was broke and I, I couldn't walk because of my back from stress and just, just being worried about work all the time. And Interesting. Uh, that I slowly worked my way out of that. Yeah. So your back, your back goes into spasm when you're stressed. Yes, especially then. So that was actually how I became really good friends with Christian. Is that he's a he was a instructing at a yoga school that he had opened in our town of San Diego, and uh, and he's like, you just got to come in, you just got to come in. So I finally did, and that's what got me into yoga uh-huh. with that stress. Yeah, and and so if I, especially money, like if if I'm really worried about money, my low back goes bananas. Yeah, I get all wow, look like a ninety year old man. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Because I've only just started experiencing that in recent times. Yeah, like uh, when when things get stressful, I my back goes into spasm and I've never had back problems. And yeah, I thought it was a, a physical thing, but it's, it's, it's really not, you know? So it's, it's actually like, I think more of a psychological thing. So I guess you have two little kids, right? Yeah. And actually picking up little kids all day, I actually often, often say to people, it's like, 
because my son is just turned two, you're often picking him up off the ground a lot. And it's like doing like a thousand deadlifts a day, you know, like you get like dad fit, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> dad fitness, man. Yeah, man. Oh, that's really, that's really like really nice of you to share that Dan and, and be open with that. I think a lot of people will resonate with that. I think stress, stress is real. Like we all, we all have to deal with it, but I think a lot of people don't like to admit that they are stressed. And I think that creates more stress paradoxically. So I don't know. Yeah. It's a sign of weakness. A sign of, According to our, you know, yeah. That's big in Australian culture too, especially in, in, in like the, the too, male, yeah. male culture is like, yeah, you don't, you don't talk about your feelings. You don't, you don't show people your stress so you can handle it, you know, and it's not really working out, bro. It's not working out for anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it really is it, yeah. <laughs> well, listen, man, like it's been epic. I mean, we had a bit of an internet dropout, but we're back and, um, you know, we've been talking for well over an hour. I'm just so grateful to have a chat with you, man. Like, I, um, yeah, thanks for having me again. Like, yeah, if my one of my last questions for you, right, is if you could go back to 18 year old Dan Man, what would you say to 18 year old Dan Man? What advice would you give him? I would, I would probably just say, hey, find a um, modality that works for you that that enables you to be, you know, I guess. Well, I mean, find find what I what I have found is is the breath work. If you could find something like that that helps you with a, a daily ceremonial type ritual of checking in with your self and your so that interconnectivity of the biology the consciousness and your spirituality you know the the need for that those three elements to be well balanced the glaring problem for us in in our western ways is obviously the consciousness that you and i talked about earlier dominating so really it's actually simple for us we all we really need to do is control our consciousness eat well exercise and then what we'll show from there is, is emerge from that will be more obvious awareness of spirituality. For me, it was really, really important to have a very deliberate and obvious way to do some form of meditation. And I, I, I couldn't just sit there and meditate. I needed a, a key to get in there. And, and that's what breathwork was for me was that. And Are we the same age? Are we the same age? <laughs> I'm, no, I'm old. You, I'm, you I'm 43. Like I'm 43. Yeah, I'm 47. Oh, there we go. I'm 47. Because I'm just listening to you going, that's exactly the same. Like, I could never meditate, dude. Like, but the breathing and specifically when I'm holding my breath, it actually was like the key that unlocked my ability to meditate. Because when I'm holding my breath and I go in, I actually can actually quiet the mind and meditate. But then now, now that it's like my my mind remembers that, then I can actually meditate in other ways. Wow. And you just said it, dude. That's so rad. Oh, cool. Yeah, good. No, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I needed that um, key, you know, to, to get in there. I, I couldn't, even after yoga, even after doing a lot of exercising, I've, I, you know, I've always been really, really physically active, but I, the, the breath work was the only thing. Dude, this is the same. Wow. Exact same here. Exact same. Like always cool. active my whole life, cool. but yeah. Yeah. But listen, man, um, it's a little bit remiss of me because I often ask, I ask guests to come to the podcast with a cause, you know, obviously we're in, we're in different parts of the world and communication, you know, you're a busy guy and I'm, I'm, I'm busy as well. And 
I didn't get a chance to sort of tell you before the podcast, but if you could advocate for a cause or a charity or a social enterprise of some type, like, sorry to put you on the spot, but do you have anything you'd like to advocate for in particular? Or would you like to just advocate advocate for breathwork? Yeah, I would, I would you know, and breathwork and uh, kindness to yourself and truth to yourself, you know, because like you, you can't, again, you know, a lot of those, you know, you can advocate for things, but you, you really have control over it. For me, I go, man, I don't know, you know, but one thing I can do is be the best version of me and, and uh, focus on that. And if, you know, all the smarter people than me, which is a lot, um, say the same thing that, you know, if you want to make the world a better place, start with yourself. And so, you know, money, charity, donations, all that's all great. I try to participate in that as much as I can, but the real change is going to be something other than something related to money. Yes, Dan. Dude, I love you. I, I liked you. Now I love cool. you. I love That's you. right. I agree. It's so true. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I mean, it's cool. true. Like, and it's that simple. If you want to change the world, start with yourself. I mean, that's, that's the most simple way. Yeah. Oh, dude, yeah. it's right. Now, listen, man, cool. you know, like I said, I'm, you're actually my second ever remote podcast, uh, you know, and I'm oh. transitioning to it. I, it's just, I, I love podcasting and I, I, I was always like, oh, I'm, I'm never going to do remote podcasts because I feel like it, you know, you lose the con- the connection with the person and the authenticity of the conversation. But, you know, I really don't feel like it was lost today with you, man, through this, even with a few cool. technical issues, man. So thanks so much. I also like to give all the guests it's way better a than gift. Nothing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, totally, man. And, um, uh, I just, I'm really driven by like, just in these times of social isolation, I just think like hearing people's journey and people's story is more important than ever than reducing feelings of isolation. And that's very much what I'm driven by with this podcast. So, you know, thanks for being like brave enough to, to sort of be open and, and, and share and, and give your time. So, okay. um, I also like to give all, you know, guests a, uh, a gift IndoSoul will be sending you a pair of uh, flip flops or slides, so uh, you'll. I'll be getting. I'll just get your address and your shoe size. And uh, big thanks to IndoSoul. If you uh, would like to um, listen to Dan's episode, you can go and check it out on terriblehappytalks.com. And there's also links on that website to the various platforms that this podcast is published on, such as Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Buzzsprout, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. And also, Dan, I have the Terrible Happy Talk Circle logo sticker. Now, I can't get that to you, but I, I'm, I'm going to come to California and I'm going to make a point of giving you that. And I only give them to people that have been on the show. So there's only 67 of them out there. So you're an alumni now. So thanks, brother. Of course. Thank you. I'll, I'll stick it on something with pride. Thank you. <laughs> you, know, you know what you can do? Stick it on one of Kelly's boards and don't tell him. All right. There we go. <laughs> Make it a magic board instantaneously. There you go. There you go, man. Look, there's a little bit of magic. Just trust me, Kelly. It'll go way better. And then, and then I'll come, and then I'll come and snap the nose off one of his boards and go. Look, this is this is what works for me. You snap it off. I'll put it back on, and he'll be yeah. It'll be perfect. I'll snap it. Dan will fix it. Trust me. You're gonna get that last world title before you retire. Come on. Actually, Kelly's done a lot for me, and he doesn't even know because Uh old and short. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. He's really helped us bald guys. So yeah. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> All right, my brother. Um, yeah, man. That's it, dude. Unless you've got anything else you want to end on. 
No, just keep, thank you for keeping teaching the youth, man. It's good to have a role model like you out there. That's huge. Much appreciated. Those impressionable high school kids, you know? Yeah. And big shout out to Christian. I think he was the catalyst for this conversation. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm so jealous of that guy right now. They've, I mean, Uluwatu has been pumping and he's living right on the cliffs there. And yeah. I don't know, living yeah. the dream, eh? Yeah, yeah. And he can do a vicious handstand too, so. Yeah, I know. He's amazing. <laughs> so inspirational, hey? Amazing. What an inspiration, yeah. hey? Yeah. Yeah. All right, brother. All right. Cool. Hey, so before we kick off the podcast, I just want to talk about getting your morning kick in Belmont Coffee. Belmont is owned by skaters, barbers, traders, and musicians. They came together with the idea of creating a co-pilot that's next to you on the late night drives, early mornings on the job site, or a midday pick-me-up, ethically sourced beans in a sustainable can, and ready to go when you are. Use the code THT to score a discount at belmont.com. That's Belmont, B-E-L-L-M-O-T-T dot com.